But before we do, we've got some announcements. And you know I'm not good at this, so have some grace, okay? Um, my wife is back with some of your kids. That ought to keep you praying. Um, actually, I wasn't nervous about it until Kate Bailey, who's like 41 weeks pregnant, was saying this morning, are you sure you don't want me to do it, Nicole? <laughs> so anyways, pray for her, pray for your kids. Um, pray that this is a blessing for Kate because she gets to sit and she's about ready to have a baby. Um, announcements, Grief Share uh, will be getting a, a new group on February 17th, that is for um, people getting together that have experienced the loss of a loved one. And if you have any questions about that, Sue right here is the one to answer. Those questions, there's also one I'm supposed to announce on April 2nd, but I'll tell you now just so you can be thinking about it or if you know somebody that's in need of it, there's a special grief share starting um, April 7th specifically for the loss of a spouse. So those things... Did you guys get like half bulletins this morning? Were they available to you? Okay, so if you, let me encourage you to do this too. If you didn't get one of those um, or you're a tree lover and you don't want to hurt trees, we, we do have a digital bulletin online. Um, there's also growth group homework in the back. You guys can grab those before the service and use those to take notes on. There's a lot of announcements. I'm going to just run through them quick. Um, ladies Bible study, that was rescheduled for today. Uh, there's going to be lunch at noon. Oh man, we better hurry up. Lunch at noon, and the study's actually at 1230, and I was asked to kindly announce, and I was not by Nicole, I was asked by Nick, and there's three of them here, so you can guess who it was, but to kindly announce if you're not one of the ladies participating in that study, get out of here when you're done. Okay, so they can set up kindly. <laughs> Moms of young children, uh, March 1st, and it's, it's if you're a young mom or an old mom, but you got young kids. That's a breakfast um, for you, March 1st from 9 to 11. Bring your kids. Your kids will be ministered to. There's a um, OTCF women's Facebook page. There's more information on there. Next Men's Breakfast, March 11th. Women's Retreat, April 14th through the 16th. Registration begins today, I believe right over here after church. Sign up. Um, let me just say, this is like an amazing time for our ladies to, to gather together and to be refreshed and hear from the Lord. And prices have skyrocketed this year. But we, we had some people donate the money. The church has decided to supplement that. So it will be reasonable. Um, I think the same or less than it was last year. If there's a financial need, please let me know if you're unable to attend because of that. Children's ministry workers are needed. If you uh, feel by the Lord that you're led to do that, please see Heidi. Where's Heidi? Right back there. So, um, Two more. There is a Stand for Life meeting. I don't know if you guys know this, but the state of Maine is considering changing again legislation regarding their abortion laws. So there is a Stand for Life meeting at Cross Point Church. Saturday, February 25th, there's going to be two sessions, 10 to 11 and 11.30 to 12.30. You can get more information at speakupforlife.com. And then men, there's a men's conference, Vanguard Men's Conference, Saturday, March 4th. 
down in China, Maine from 8 to 2. Um, some of you guys have um, heard Rich Panisi share worship before. He's going to be leading worship. The speakers are Aaron Dudley from Machias Christian Fellowship, Travis Carey from down in Portland, Pauly um, Trevelio from, he's the director of Arise, and uh, Joel Littlefield is going to be speaking at that. So uh, there's actually a link to that on our Facebook page, so you can go there and sign up. I see, guys, if you don't have a Bible, if you want to slip a hand up, these guys will put a Bible in your hands. We want you to be able to follow along with us on that. Um, Don't be bashful. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, please keep that and consider that a gift from the Lord to you. So, another thing. This is something I don't think I've ever done before. I want to encourage you guys to go to the movies. Okay? Um, Have you guys heard about the Jesus Revolution movie? Seen some of the ads for it? Strongly, strongly encourage you guys to go. um, Not today, but next Wednesday, uh, February 22nd through Sunday the 26th. It's going to be playing at the Bangor Theaters. Um, As of my knowledge right now, it's not in Orono. Uh, We would have rented out a theater there. They decided to play a movie called The Cocaine Bear instead, which I'm not recommending. Um, but I've seen the movie. I've seen the Jesus Revolution movie. They let me uh, view a preview of that. Strongly recommend it. It is the story of pro- perhaps the greatest revival in American history. And for those of you that don't know a lot about the history of our church, it's also the history of the Calvary Chapel movement and where that began and um, that story. So we have a trailer here. I want you to see. Hey, Square. I am not a square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend? The mountain is high. How are you doing, Southern California? These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. They need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. This house has a very good vibe. There is an entire generation searching. Slow down, man, slow down. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. Probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome! Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then, that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're gonna need a bigger church. Our country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home, and I want you to tell all your friends about it. 
That's what I want to hear. Yeah, no, I strongly encourage you guys. It's a, it's a great story, and it's, it's really part of our history. So, um, hate to bring this up on the Super Bowl day. Any fans of Boston sports teams here? Come on, the Bruins are way out. I mean, we can admit that, right? Um, Red Sox, Boston Bruins, New England Patriots. I, I think they've got a basketball team, too, maybe. Um, one of the things that I really like about Boston sports is the pride that they take in putting in the reps, doing the work. Working hard, not quitting, is often referred to as grinding. So you can see the title of our message this morning is Keep Grinding, Don't Grow Weary. I don't know if you guys remember, some of you certainly are old enough to remember the 2004 season for the Boston Red Sox. Um, there was all kinds of talk back then about the curse of the Bambino. Anybody remember that? The, uh, the belief that the Red Sox would never again win a World Series as eternal punishment for trading away Babe Ruth to the dreaded New York Yankees. But in uh, 2004, things were changing. It had been, I think, since 1920. 1920 was the trade, but it had been several years since they had won. But there was a, a change in momentum and a change in attitude, and, and there was hope. And the players were united like, like it hadn't been, and it was time to cowboy up, if you remember that season. MajorLeagueBaseball.com did an article in uh, 2021 about that team. And the, the title of the article was Best Season Ever. Hard to top the 2004 Red Sox. It was written by a man named Ian Brown. Here's part of what he wrote. He said, when they got to spring training, the Red Sox were a swagger-filled group, led not only by their two prized new accusations, but also by a blossoming slugging star by the name of David Ortiz and a dominant hitter in Ramirez. You guys remember Manny Ramirez? They also had a rock-solid catcher and leader in Jason Veritek and carefree producers like Johnny Damien, that trader, and Kevin Millar, who made the clubhouse a fun place for anyone who inhabited it. Then you had the grinders, like Bill Mueller, Mark Bellhorn, and Trot Nixon. SportsIllustrated.com, uh, September 20th, 21. Uh, Mike Diabati did a uh, post-game interview with Bill Belichick uh, from Sunday, September 19th game. Coach Belichick said, I'm proud of our football team today. I thought these guys came back and really worked hard all week. I thought we made some improvement from what we did last week. Still obviously have a way to go. A lot of things we can do better, but I thought we did a lot of things better than we did last week. So we just need to keep grinding, keep working, just keep stringing these days and week together and keep improving our football team, Boston Bruins. Um, WHDH.com news article from May 9th, 2022, written by Stephen Cooper. Title of the article, he's a grinder. Bruins fans praise... Bloody Bergeron. It's hockey, 
right? While Patrice Bergeron scored a goal on the Bruins' win over the Carolina Hurricanes Sunday, it's the shot he took in the face that had his fans singing his praises. After a hockey stick slash left his face bleeding and bruised, Bergeron took a quick trip to the locker room for some stitches. He came right back out on the ice. The Bruins won the game 5-2, to two, evening up the playoff series at 2-2. Two to two. A fan is quoted here. He's like 37 years old, and he's asking to go back in the last 20 seconds with a bleeding eye. There's not many people built like that anymore, said fan Dylan McSparren. He lives and dies for Boston, said fan Victoria Sturwatuk. He's a grinder. So I'd like to invite you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 for our title, Keep Grinding, or a New England translation of Don't Grow Weary. Don't grow weary. And we'll see if we can make this work. So verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. In Paul's appeal to them for prayer, he asked for some specific things. I want you to look at verse 1 again with me, and we'll kind of break this down. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. That's, he's closing this letter out. This is the third chapter. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly or spread freely without resistance. The idea being that it wouldn't be slowed down and wouldn't have obstacles. And, he says, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, be accepted, be received, being glorified in the same way that it was in your community church, is what he's saying. The, the word of the Lord is glorified when it is shared, received, and believed. That would be a really good question for your growth group homework. It's not on there, but I should have put it on there. Uh, so pray, number one, that the word of the Lord would move freely, is Paul's request here. That it would be, number two, that it would be glorified by being believed and received like it was with you guys. And number three, in verse two, it says, and that, way, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Paul very frequently, when you read through the epistles of Paul, the letters of Paul, very frequently he asked people to pray for him. And you may look at his life and think, well, I don't think it worked very well. Uh, it seems like Paul was being attacked by unreasonable and wicked men all the time. But how do you know that it didn't work? Or how do you know um, how much worse it could have been than what it was even with his prayers? Paul knew the value and the power of prayer, so he kept on praying, kept on asking, continuously asked others to pray for him as well. And I believe he's asking to be delivered from these unreasonable or wicked men, or better yet, that these men get saved. Right? Not all have faith that 
the Lord, maybe they would have faith. Um, Unreasonable and Wicked Men, another news article for you, foxnews.com, July 12, 2016. Russian President Vladimir Putin signed into law last week a measure punishing any kind of religious evangelism outside of churches. So if, if you're dumb enough to walk in, you can hear it. But like on our doors, where we've got you are now entering the mission field, going out into the community, that was made against the law. No longer allowed to tell people, not just about Jesus, but spread any religion outside of churches. Now that hasn't happened here yet, but we certainly have seen an increase in the number of unreasonable and wicked men. So I would be so bold as to ask you guys for this same prayer, that you would pray for this church and you would pray for our leadership here and pray for our political leaders that some would come to faith in Jesus. But the prayer here is not just, if you look at this, it's not just for unreasonable and wicked men, but he says, would you, would you deliver us, or it's not just for the wicked, rather, but he also says, pray for the unreasonable men. And Paul made it his practice, if you remember, if you read about his missionary journeys, when he would go into a new community, the first thing he would do is go to the local synagogue. And when we get into the synagogue, we read time after time after time that he would reason with them from the scriptures. He'd listen to them, hear where they're coming from, and then he would give them good reason to believe from the word of God. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but sometimes, even today, the people that you deal with in ministry are unreasonable, right? meaning that they are unable to be reasoned with. It doesn't mean that they won't be insistent and demand to be listened to by you and want to tell you everything about what they think and believe, but they themselves are unreasonable, and you can waste a lot of time arguing with unreasonable men. So Paul asks that they would pray for their delivery from that. So pray that this church also would be a place that the word of God may go out unhindered from. Remember in the beginning of the letter, it was the church, the people in the church were spreading forth the gospel. So pray that this would be a place that the word of God might go out unhindered and be glorified, that it would go out into every home in Old Town and the surrounding communities. We haven't yet figured out how to do that. Um, all the more reason to pray for that, how that would look, how would we do that. In fact, pray for all the pastors around this area and the churches in this town as well. A lot of the times, I think we forget to pray for our church leaders. Um, we were super thankful for a week of prayer and fasting when we were intentional about that. But I think sometimes we look at church leaders or um, people that help us in that way and think, well, they got it all together. Or they don't, well, I mean, not here, but you know what I mean. Um, that they don't need it. You know, they're strong in the Lord and they got their own devotional life and all that. But, or, or, they don't struggle with the same things that I do. And for you men that were here yesterday, Brett shared a verse with us yesterday reminding us that there is no temptation that has overtaken you except such as common to man. Meaning our enemy doesn't have a constantly refreshed bag of new tricks, 
right? If you are struggling with something, you can rest assured that several others are probably struggling with that same thing. So Paul knew that him being a leader or him being a missionary or him being a pastor didn't automatically mean that the battle was over. It just gets harder as the size of the target grows. Um, Satan knows that if he can take down a pastor or he can take down a church leader, the repercussions to that are great, right? The circle of pain is like uh, the ripples of water when you chuck a rock in a pond and you see that go out from there. Uh, Verse three, Paul tells us why we can pray these things in confidence. It says, but the Lord is faithful, right? Here's here's the deal. There's wicked and unreasonable men and, and we need prayer, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. You don't have to raise a hand here, but do you ever lack confidence when you pray? I don't don't just mean like, God, I know that you can do this. I know that you can heal. I know that you can deliver. I know you can break chains of bondage. I just have trouble believing that you will. I mean, that's certainly an aspect of it. But do you ever just pray and lack the confidence that he hears you or that, um, that he's going to respond. Well, Paul says that we can pray confidently because the Lord is faithful. Paul didn't pray confidently because he thought that God would give him everything that he wanted or give him everything that he asked for. We have examples of that where he specifically prayed for healing for himself three times. But he was able to pray with confidence because God is faithful. So look again at what he says. The Lord is faithful who will, right? The Lord is faithful who will establish you that the work, and that that word here, establish, means strengthen, support, to make fast, or to fix firmly in faith. Think of it as spiritual quickcrete. It's a great explanation I've heard. Spiritual quickcrete. A buddy of mine and I built a, a fence, a chain link fence around our um, home that we used to have in Virginia, trying to keep an old hound in contained. Um, but the soil there was really sandy. Uh, so we'd dig holes and we'd put the posts in and we'd have to fill in around it with concrete mix and put water in. And then once we did that, in a short amount of time, those posts were unmovable. And that's the idea here, that the Lord is faithful and he will set the forms and he will make you solid. And as if that wasn't enough, Paul goes on and he says, and guard you from the evil one. And the word guard here means guard. It, It does. Guard closely. Um, to watch, to keep, that idea. Similar to the passage that many of you guys know in uh, Philippians. This is some of your favorite verses. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Same idea. So now Paul tells them two specific things. Pray for me, pray these things for us, and I'm going to pray some specific things for you guys. He says, starting in verse 4, 
in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter three, it says, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things that we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. So again, Paul prays that the Lord would direct their hearts into the love of God and number two, into the patience of Christ. Anyone ever accuse you guys of having the patience of Jesus? All the more reason we should be praying that for each other, I guess. Um, listen, it's, it's fine when we pray, when we make our appeals known to the Lord to, to tell God what we want or to ask for what we want. But when we pray, prayer also asks us to trust God. Right? That's us surrendering that to him. That's turning those things over to him. And, and part of that is asking us to trust him because he's faithful. Even though it might not look like what we want it to. Even if he gives us what's best for us, not what's easiest for us. Even if he allows some suffering in that so that we will be strong when we're put in the position of having to decide if it's time to throw in the towel or time to keep on grinding. I've got a question for you guys. Uh, it's a question that we may build on praying about this over the next couple of weeks. Uh, going through these letters to the Thessalonians, we have talked a lot about the end times, right? It's all throughout both of these letters. Um, what's going to happen in the final events, the culmination of, of human history on this earth. It's what theologians call cosmic eschatology or, or the world events. But what happens in our personal or individual eschatology? What do I mean by that? What happens when you die? What, what specifically happens? The order of events, what happens when you die? What happens when a non-Christian dies? I mean, we know from the scriptures to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but what about, it's interesting, I was talking to somebody about one of their growth groups and kind of going through these timelines and there's the great white throne judgment, right? Where everybody answers to the Lord, those that haven't had their names written in the book of life. But then there's this Bema seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ that's for us, right? Where, where we are commended, and we're rewarded for the things that we did and we're held to account for the things that we didn't do. So just that application there, everything that we do matters a lot and it matters forever, right? Because that's based on that. So may talk about that in a couple of weeks. Can't cover it today because Nicole's back here and I got a time limit. So staying with the big picture stuff. Um, we've talked about the imminent return of Christ Jesus coming back at any moment in time and that we should live in such a way that our life demonstrates that we're ready for that. That um, we're ready if he came back today. While also planning for the future in case he decides not to or to wait a little while longer. But here's my question. I said I had a question for you. 
So I, I think every time I've talked about it, I've painted it like that. Like Jesus can come back any second. Are you ready? But let me ask you this. What if Jesus were to come back in four months? And you knew that. And I, we talked about this a little bit in our growth group, so I, I apologize for the repetition. Um, but I, and I don't mean one of your nutty friends uh, tells you that it's going to be June of 2023 because of some blood moon or feast or it's true because they saw it on the internet. But you know, I, and it's a hypothetical because Jesus tells us that no man knows the day or the hour. But say you did. And you knew that four months from today, Jesus was going to come back. How would you spend the next four months? What would change? Would, would things change radically? Because when we look at the scriptures, a lot of the early believers, those that were around at the time of Jesus came, they believed this. You know, and it radically changed their lives. And they traveled from place to place telling as many people that would listen about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about the consequences of not receiving the good news. Is there ongoing sin in your life that maybe you'd stop if you knew Jesus was going to be here awful soon? Or is there someone that you love that you haven't shared the gospel with yet? Or maybe a friend that you haven't told because you don't want to risk losing that relationship. Again, many of Jesus' earliest followers believed that he would return very quickly, and some responded radically like that and, and changed everything about their lives, and others simply checked out, stopped grinding, stopped working, stopped serving. They probably let their car's extended warranty expire. The things of the earth didn't matter anymore. The people in need didn't matter so much anymore because they were short timers now. And they actually considered themselves to be more spiritual because they weren't wasting their time with the labors of this earth. They had their eyes to the sky waiting for Jesus. They were short timers. You guys ever been a short timer? We're talking about it in prayer meeting this morning. Like being a senior in high school and it's like 80 degrees out and there's two weeks left in the school year. Or maybe some of you have got like a countdown clock to when you can retire or your next promotion, you know, to get you out of the slot that you're in now. I'm a short timer with school. A couple months left, can't wait. But for some reason, when we're almost there, for some of us, it's hard to stay diligent. For others, it's the finish line. You know, it's time to sprint it out and to give everything that we have. So if you knew Jesus was coming back in four months, would your life radically change for the good? Or would you quit your job, stop paying your bills, let that April 15th tax deadline slide on by? Paul addresses that later group kind of in this letter as we, as we read on. In verse 6, he says, But we command you, brethren, 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to that language, right? He's, we've seen this transition in this letter. He's done exhortations, right? I intensely encourage you. And then he did those active imperative verbs, the bossy verbs, that's, that's a command. But here, this language, we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's like the language you use casting out a demon, right? So this is, this is tough talk from Paul. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Remember, Paul already told them to warn the unruly. Remember we talked about that. Um, Someone in the back there making coffee without a pot underneath, right? Doing it their own way. Warn the unruly. But there was apparently this group among them that, that had been warned, but they continued to choose to deliberately walk disorderly, to do their own thing, their own way, rather than following the example that they had seen in Paul and those ministering with him. With their eyes to the sky, again, waiting for Jesus, they stopped working. And, and rather than be part of the community, and contributing to that community, they became parasites, living off the generosity of others. And Paul says, withdraw from them. Separate from them. He uses much harsher language concerning willful sin in the camp when he writes to the Corinthian church when he said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not punishment, discard them, but separate from them. Don't fellowship with them. Don't even share a meal with them so that their soul might be saved. The, the idea in both of those passages is that the sense of community in the church Listen, I think this is something we can be challenged by. The sense of community in the church, the fellowship and the love among the church should be something that is so strong, so special, so unique that it can't be duplicated elsewhere. You know, that's a problem with the church today. There are certain communities that the church wants to bash and, and all of that, but they have this sense of community. They will accept it. The, the trailer that we watched, the hippies were, were the outcasts of that day. Today we've got different groups that are the outcasts of today. What we have here should be so strong, so special, so unique that it can't be replicated or duplicated anywhere else. And being absent or being taken out of it for a season should make us long so much to be a part of that again, that, that the most essential thing in our life would be missing. He continues on in, in verse 7. He says, For you yourselves know how, I'm sorry, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toll night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have the authority, Paul said, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. 
Paul says we could have. Right? We have the authority to do so, but we didn't make ourselves an example. We didn't. So we could make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. And we've talked about that a number of times, how Paul could say that. Follow me as I follow Christ. Or imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is another discussion we got into our growth group this past week. But does that mean that we should just blindly follow church leaders and do whatever they do? You're not going to hurt my feelings. The answer is no. No. Pastor Chuck Smith, who's um, Kelsey Grammer, plays in that movie. He, he once told a story about a pastor and one of the deacons that decided to do some hunting together. Okay, so bear with me. I want to share this with you. So they decide to go hunting. They get in their pickup truck. They had, this was old school, right? They had their guns hanging in the back window on the rack. And they drove for hours to get up into the county. And when they get there, they find that this whole area that they were going to hunt in has been posted. It's closed. So they look at each other and, oh, man, what a shame. We've driven all this distance. The whole place is posted. We've talked about trespassing. That, that really wasn't the temptation there. But the deacon said, you know, Pastor, the, the only one possibility that we have of hunting today would be to go over to Farmer Brown's property. But I hear he's the meanest guy in the whole town. He's, well, let's just say everyone stays clear from him, Pastor. So the pastor said, well, you know, we've come this far. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll go up to the door and I'll ask him. He can't do any more than refuse us. We've come all this way. So he goes up to the door, he knocks, and, and Farmer Brown comes to the door and, and he says, hi, I'm Pastor Jones. And my deacon and I came out this morning. We drove all the way up here. Decided to do a little hunting, but we found every place is closed. Do you suppose it would be possible we could hunt on your property? And the farmer says, Pastor Jones, what a joy to see you. He said, I've been listening to you on the radio, and I've been so blessed by your ministry. He said, honey, Pastor Jones is here. Can you believe that? He said, hey, it would be a privilege for me to have you hunt on my property. It would actually be a blessing. He said, but would you do me this one favor? You see that old horse out there in the corral? Well, the vet just left here, and he said that we've got to put him down. Would you mind shooting that old horse for me before you go? And the pastor said, no, no problem. I'd, I'd be glad to do that for you. So as he goes back out to the truck, he decides to play a little trick on his deacon, sort of tease him a little bit. So he says to the deacon, boy, you know the stories that we heard about that guy? They're all true. He has to be the meanest, orneriest fella I have ever met in my life. In fact, the things he just said to me got me so boiling inside I've got to do something. I've got to get rid of this pressure or I'm going to just explode. Give me my gun. So he takes his gun and he aims at that horse and he shoots it. And the horse falls over. And that pastor can't wait to turn around and see the shocked expression on his deacon's face. And as he turns, he hears, boom, pow! And the deacon says, pastor, I got two of his cows too. Let's get out of here. 
So Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, follow me or imitate me, your translation might say, as I imitate Christ, right? Only in those ways. So there's that qualifier. But if you're serving in ministry, we ought to be living in such a way that we can say that. That we can say to a brother or sister, let me show you what it's like to live as a Christian man. Or let me show you what it's like to live as a Christian woman. Watch my life. Let me come alongside you. Paul could say that. That's why we do these, these men's ministries and these women's ministry events. In verse 10, he, he reminds us of some instruction that he gave them while he was still present with them, when he planted this church. He says, for even when we were with you, we commanded this, or we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So parents, clean out your basements of your adult kids if they're not contributing. Now, Paul's, Paul's language here is actually pretty strong when you look at that. If someone will not work, food is a great motivator. All right, don't feed them, it says. Um, I want you to notice, though, as we look at this verse, that it says, will not work. Right? There are some legitimate cases where people cannot work. And you guys, we need to understand the difference between the two. I don't want anyone weaponizing the scriptures and starving grandma because she won't shovel her own snow off the roof. <laughs> but there are cases where people simply will not work. They might hold the sign or they might aggressively beg, but they have the ability and they won't work. And Paul says, maybe offer them some work. You know, maybe there's something that they can do around the church or maybe there's a way that they can help the, the body of the church. But if they aren't willing to contribute... Neither shall they eat, he says. Verse 11, he says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through the, our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So again, there's a choice involved here. They are deliberately walking in a disorderly manner. When most of us, when we're walking somewhere, we have a destination in mind. Right? When we walk, we do it with purpose. So they are walking disorderly, not working at all, and are busybodies. Right? Busy in everybody else's business but their own is the description there. Paul says, we command and exhort you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that, that strong language. That they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Can I give you a New England translation of that? Stop enabling them. Tell them to shut up and get to work or make their own sandwich, right? Uh, verse 13 says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. So Paul gives some instruction to the church as a whole how we should respond to certain people. And he says, if anyone doesn't obey our word in this epistle, note that person and don't keep company with him that he might be ashamed, yet don't count him as an enemy. Right? That's, that's not the deal. 
admonish him as a brother. Our, our, our heart should always be to correct one another in love. Paul acknowledges here that it can be easy to get tired, right? it can be easy to grow weary in doing good, especially when you're not seeing results, right? Or, or it doesn't turn out exactly like you thought. But we need to keep grinding, right? We need to finish strong in the love and power and strength of Jesus. Verse 16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. I love the way that's written. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace, always and in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. Remember, there was some confusion as if they had received a letter from them that wasn't from them. Paul says, hey, here's the deal. I dictate these things maybe, or, but you know, this is my signature at the end, which I sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Cool book. Cool little letter. A lot of stuff in here. Um, don't forget your growth group homework. I think you'll enjoy. I hope you enjoy the discussion. I hope you're challenged by it. Let's pray. And uh, you ladies can prepare for your study. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this word and the um, encouragement and admonishments in here, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for the way that we do this. But Lord, help us to be mindful that uh, how we live today matters, Lord, and, and we ought to be able to say to one another, to follow me, to let me show you. And Lord, help us as we prayed this morning in, in prayer meeting, would you help order our lives? Lord, all the things that we are busy with and distracted by that aren't of you, would you just reveal those to us, Lord? that we can be more about your business. We know that you could come back at any moment, Lord, and we're not to be idle, but we're not to grow weary. And Lord, may we turn to you that our burdens would be surrendered to you, Lord, that we would abide in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.